Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell. I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. I'm delighted to welcome as our guest for this podcast, Dr. Shariki Kumanikia, professor of epidemiology in the Department of Biostatistics and Epidemiology in the Nutrition Section of the Department of Pediatrics at the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine. Uh, Shriki is also Associate Dean for Health Promotion and Disease Prevention in the School of Medicine at Penn. Uh, one of the best-known researchers in, the, uh, wor- in work on obesity and nutrition, she's been highly influential at the national and international scene. So welcome. I'm delighted to have you here. Thank you. Glad to be here. So in this, this particular podcast, we're going to talk about racial, ethnic, and, and income differences and in prevalence of obesity, something people refer to as disparities. So could we start off by saying what do we mean by disparities and how does it apply to the issue of obesity? Uh, Sure. Uh, Disparities, um, I think in their simplest sense, are differences between groups. And so when we talk about obesity, we're looking at higher prevalence of obesity in African-American women and African-American girls. Uh, 50% in African-American women compared to about 30-some percent in white women. And in girls, uh, 25 26% in teen girls, for example, compared to uh, perhaps 15% in, um, in white girls. So there are big differences in, in prevalence. Um, I think I'd like to add that the term disparities or a lack of parity also implies some sort of inequity And recently, uh, through Healthy People 2020, we have tried to make it clearer that not all health differences are disparities. So the the implication that one group is more obese suggests that there may be something in the causal picture that's related to social disadvantage of some type that that requires fixing. Do, Do the differences in prevalence translate into equivalent differences in health burden? So... If, let's say, that the um, African-American population has X percent greater prevalence of obesity, will they have X percent greater problems with hypertension and heart disease and early death and things like that, or will it be greater? Is it out of proportion to the white population? Uh, I think it depends on the risk factor you're talking about. Uh, There is a commensurate rise in um, new cases of diabetes or difference in in prevalence of diabetes, according to BMI. And some of those patterns are seen very similar, the gradient going uh, with the disease going up as the weight goes up. They're similar uh, in blacks and, and whites or in black women and white women, if you compare them. For hypertension, that's also true to some extent, but there's also more non-obesity-related hypertension in the black population. So sometimes you see where the effect isn't as um, strong as you would expect, and that may be because there's a different mix of other disease causes. Um, For heart disease, the the types of heart disease are a little bit different in blacks and whites, so it's not a um, point-for-point similarity. Uh, When you get to mortality rates and death rates, because treatment is likely to be less available in some segments, then you can see more than the risk you would expect given the uh, the weight level. All right, so you've um, painted a picture here of not just small differences in prevalence, but really quite significant differences in prevalence. 
between certain parts of the population. I can imagine that this is a very complicated issue about explaining where those numbers, not where the numbers come from, but why they exist, why there are differences in prevalence of obesity in African Americans compared to Caucasian people. So what are some of the reasons people have pointed to, and what what are your own opinions about these? Well, I think I'm, uh, being a public health uh, researcher and advocate, I'm very quickly to point out that it's probably not uh, the simple case of more African Americans having less willpower <laughs> to, to, to eat or being less interested in exercise, although some there are some patterns in the population that showed differences in, in behaviors like that. But I like to look at what is the what might be the reason for these differences, and then when you look at the environments, both for physical activity and for food you see systematic differences in the environments where African Americans live that would result in, um, with the same level of effort, would result in more weight gain. Mm-hmm. So are there, do you think any of it is differences in education and knowledge about nutrition? There probably are some differences. Uh, their gradients in education uh, and obesity it's a, it is a very interesting picture. First, I think I should say that the education and income gradients appear to be diminishing as the population levels of obesity go up. So people who might have been able to avoid being obese are less likely to be so. So you don't necessarily see the big gap that you expect by, by education. Uh, in women, the typical gap that you expect by education with uh, less obesity in the better educated or higher income women has not been as consistent in, um, in African Americans. It's flatter, so you don't see as much of a gradient. I think that's partly because um, the way we measure income and education may tell us different things about different populations. So you know, if you actually got equivalent education or income groups, you might not see that. And in kids, especially the adolescent girls, you see the opposite gradient in most of the data sets with income, where it's more like a nutrition transition population of of people acquiring risk as they go up the socioeconomic scale. So the rates of obesity may be highest in um, in the better off groups. It's kind of Surprising because you expect it to go in the other direction. What role do you think access to food plays? That what what people have access to in the neighborhoods that they live in. I think that the the effect of access is is multiple. One, um, the the access reflects some combination of what people usually buy and what the people who sell food want them to buy, I think. So access um, to healthful foods, fruits and vegetables or the lower-calorie products, is lower in access to the things that are likely to be overeaten or likely to lead to overconsumption is higher. So while you can probably find all products in all neighborhoods, the cost of those products may be different or the difficulty of getting them may be different, or they may just be hiding <laughs> in the back of the store where you have to really want it to go and get it. <laughs> okay. I've heard you say um, 
that the if you look at the environmental factors that affect eating and, and body weight and physical activity, that they all conspire, that they're all sort of headed in the wrong direction for people in certain groups. Could you explain a little bit more what you mean by that? Yeah, and so if you take a list of all the environmental factors we think are relevant, um, is there a supermarket that has the widest range of choices? Um, are there fast food restaurants that are likely to promote overconsumption of calories with large portions uh, as compared to other restaurants? Are there safe places to play? Um, all of these types of things are loaded in the direction in African-American communities where um, they would be favorable to weight gain. And we've done a systematic review of published literature up through 2006, and we found 20 articles that made this very clear where they were good studies with tight comparisons showing that the availability of food stores um, and... Um, but we did it for food. We didn't do it for physical activity, although there are some comparable studies. But especially for food, the availability of food and the types of foods and the other big environmental factor, the advertising of foods on TV and in magazines, is much more imbalanced towards unhealthy products in black communities. Okay, we'll come back and talk about that in more detail in the second podcast we'll do. Shriki, do you believe that um, the government agencies that are paying attention to obesity and the people who are funding work on this are sufficiently sensitive to the disparities issue? Is that getting the attention it needs? Um, it probably is not. Um, and that's, it, it's kind of an odd, uh, kind of a mixed blessing. If you gave too much attention to disparities in the public, it could be defined as a minority problem, and it could bring more um, disapproval to the black community and more explanations based on bad personal behavior and things like that because people wouldn't necessarily have that understanding. Um, but the government agencies that, that offer targeted programs like school lunch, school breakfast, the WIC program that selectively reach the low-income segment of the population, which includes disproportionately more African Americans, those agencies, I think, have a wonderful opportunity to help to close the disparity because you have access to a population at high risk, and if you could fix uh, the food, and the WIC program is a start, if you could make the food so that it meets dietary guidelines, you'd be giving an advantage to populations who have the least income. I think that th those are the government agencies who have the most leverage I think, in changing something that, that you could actually picture in a policy uh, context. So we have this problem with very high prevalence of obesity in certain segments of the population. What do we do about it? If you were the obesity or nutrition czar in the country, how would you start off trying to, make, trying to correct this problem? Well, I would... Um, have a big initiative with leaders in the a diverse group of leaders in communities that are most affected because the leadership is a buffer in a way between some of the forces that are helping to drive the obesity epidemic. 
They may be uh, policymakers who are making decisions about um, community design or about school food, um, or they may be role models or um, ministers, faith leaders, and people who can, through persuasion, influence the social norm. So I think that's where I would start, because if we don't have support of community leaders, we might have their opposition. And um, with opposition, I don't think we're going to win. We cannot force, especially in the area of food choices or activity, we just we can't force things on people because we think it's good for them. That's not something that you do with adults. We may have some of that obligation with children, but you don't have that with adults. And so I think that's where I would start, and then I would look for the big policy levers where you could do something and try to drive them through. And what would some of those policy levers be? Well, um, I would like to say food marketing, but I don't know that we have policy levers right now that can help with, with food marketing. We do have taxation of unhealthy products that I think we could try. Um, and I think with the right kind of community uh, engagement, we could build support for that. Uh, all of the policies around uh, schools, work sites, there's good data from CDC that work site um, environments are um, places to intervene in order to improve options for physical activity and eating. Um, community design for... Um, for transportation, incentives, you know, putting the money in behind the types of behaviors you'd want people to have. I think those are the kinds of policy levers. Pol- uh, positive more so than punitive, because I don't think uh, obesity is the type of problem where too much negativity is going to help the community. I think it has to be positive. Okay. Well, thank you. This, this is a very, very important topic. Nobody that I know of has shed light on it as you have. So thank you for all you've contributed, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you. So our guest today was Dr. Shariki Kumanika, professor of epidemiology at the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine, where she also serves as associate dean for health promotion and disease prevention. Please visit our website at www.yalerudcenter.org for a variety of resources on nutrition and food policy issues including a list of other podcasts that were recorded in a variety of resources, including a free email newsletter that goes out monthly. Thank you.